going to assume that I'm also looking into many, many homes and many monitors right now, perhaps a phone that you're listening to on Zoom this morning. I'm Jack Kranz, and um, some of you might remember me. I don't expect you to, but it was a wonderful time last November. It was cold. There was ice on the lake where we were on the retreat, and I remember so many of the men, and I remember coming on a Sunday morning there to Calvary Chapel in the city of Boston. And what an honor it was to be there with you. You brought my wife, Sue, with us. And um, she had just gone through a a horrible time with melanoma cancer. And um, the church was so kind in allowing her to come with me uh, during that men's retreat. And Sue and I remember our time with you as some of the sweetest moments we could ever remember as husband and wife. And so I'm speaking to you today. I'm outside. So if you hear a bird or something like that, maybe it's a little bit of an interference, but I'm hoping you won't hear much more than maybe a few birds going by. And, um, and so I'm, I'm here at the camp at the Old Mill, the Old Mill Bible Conference, uh, right where I live, uh, just outside of Philadelphia, about 40 minutes. And um, just here on this uh, kind of an overcast day, um, but a warm day, uh, looking forward to just breaking open the word of God with you this morning. And I'm going to watch my time. I want to pray again that God will bless his word. And, uh, you know, I said to Steve and I said to many, many preachers who've come to my camp, they say, Jack, what do you want me to preach? What do you want me to spend my time on in my message when I come to your camp? And I always tell people the same thing. And maybe maybe it's an overstatement, but maybe it isn't. I've always said, speak as though it's the last time you're ever going to speak. Now, I realize our, my audience is diverse. I'm not speaking to my sons. I'm not speaking to my wife. I'm speaking to a large number of people that I don't really know. You might be tuning in today for the first time to Calvary Chapel in the city of Boston. You might be an active member of that church. But whatever reason, please stay tuned as I pray and as I do my best to speak from God's word. Uh, what I pray will be timely this hour in our nation and in our lives. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for its timelessness, Lord, that your word is eternal. We're going to pass away like the grass of the field, but your word will endure forever. And so, Lord, this morning, on this Sunday, May the 24th, 2020, I'm praying that even in the midst of the coronavirus and all the issues of our world, an election year, everything going on, Lord, I pray that you will speak to my heart and speak to our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, again, I'm going to just speak what is very timely in my own life. And, and I just made a few notes this morning because I want to kind of follow a course here this morning with you. And if I were to give a message title today, I would say, teach us to number our days. Teach us to number our days and to apply our hearts onto wisdom. Now that that verse happens to come from the Psalm chapter 90. And I'm going to be referring to that much later on in the message, but you know I think it's wise that every day we be numbering our days, applying our hearts onto wisdom and really being wise. And if ever there was a time where I'm saying, "Lord, help me," 
to know what it is you want me to do, what it is you want me to be reading, what it is you want me to be saying, how you want me to spend my day, now is that time. You know, a couple months ago, I wrote an article. It was before March, March the 1st, and I was remembering myself as a 10 or 11-year-old boy, maybe nine years of age, and I was sitting at home back in the late 1950s or early 60s, and I was watching the first American man to go up into space. His name was Alan Shepard. I was just a young boy, and I remember sitting on, in my living room in a black and white television watching the rocket as it sat there at Cape Canaveral, Florida, watching the countdown, 10, 9, 8, all the way down to takeoff. And I remember that with all my heart. And that man, Alan Shepard, went up into space 90 miles straight up and 90 miles down into the Atlantic Ocean, a successful first man in space for the United States. I remember that. But it was the countdown. And in March, early March, here's what I was thinking. At the age of almost 70, I'll be 70 in November. There's going to be an election in our country on November the 3rd, 2020, a national election. And anyone hearing my voice right now knows if America ever had its eyes on an election, every year it seems like it's more intense. It seems like there's more division. It seems like there's more consequence to every election. And so I knew in the beginning of March, I was going to be 70 in November. I knew we were going to elect another president of our country in November. And so I already knew in March, I was counting down the months until November, like eight, seven, six, five, all the way down from March until the 1st of November. That's how I began the month of March. It was an intense time in my life. And then on the 13th of March, we found out that the nation would go into lockdown for a virus we knew nothing about. And so these last weeks, that countdown has changed considerably. Now we're closer to that November date than I ever dreamed we would be. And the intense division of our country is greater than I ever dreamed it would be. And so this morning, I'm speaking to you there in the Boston area with my heart heavy. Now, I've been involved in prison ministry for over 47 years. And working in prison has broken my heart. It broke my heart all these 47 years. And because my heart was broken, it drove me to want to know more about revival. We need a revival in our nation. We need a work of God in our nation. I said that many, many, many years ago. And so I found myself being driven, not just to prison ministry, but to say, God, bring revival to our nation, bring revival. And you know, through the years, I've learned that even something greater than even understanding revival is my own personal need for personal revival personal experience of living my life in the presence of an almighty and a holy God. What a privilege we have to be able to live our lives from day to day in the presence of a holy and merciful God. 
if there's ever been a need in my life to live in the presence of a holy and merciful God, it's now. It's now more than ever. I said to my youngest son just yesterday, and he's just about 39 years of age, and, and he talked about how the Apostle Paul always talked about running the race, not falling behind, not failing in the grace of God, always finishing well, pressing hard towards the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Jesus Christ. And he always talked about how intense Paul was on finishing well. And, you know, I said to my son, when you know you're getting near to the end of your race, that prayer for the mercy of God, that prayer for the mercy of God, that you might finish well, that you might finish well. And everyone that's hearing my voice this morning, I want to say to you, if ever we wanted to pray for the mercy of God, it's now. We want to pray for the mercy of God. What a wonderful thing to think that the holy God of the universe is also a personal, merciful, wonderful God. Since I was in Boston, or maybe about the time I was in Boston in November, I've also been reading a book called The Biblical Doctrine of Heaven by Wilbur Smith. The Biblical Doctrine of Heaven by Wilbur Smith. A great study on the scriptures about heaven. And there were two chapters in that book that touched my heart deeply. And again, this is very important for today, very important for this time in history. Before I go into Psalm chapter 30 or Psalm chapter 90, when I think about this book by Wilbur Smith, he mentioned two chapters. One of them is, answers this question. What is Jesus Christ doing right now? What is Jesus Christ doing right now? He's doing many things, but one thing we know he's doing, he is seated at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for us. He is our great high priest. He has a seat called the mercy seat where he says to sinners like me and like you, come into that place of mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We have a savior who right now with all authority because of his finished work on the cross, his victory over the tomb and his ascension into heaven, he is seated right now at the right hand of God, making intercession for those who know him and love him. That's what Jesus Christ is doing right now. That was one of the questions answered in that little chapter. What is Jesus Christ doing right now? And the second thing, another great chapter was this. Live the heavenly life now. Living the heavenly life now. You know, if we're going to die and go to heaven before too long, it would make sense that we're living right now in the presence of what Christ is doing right now. That our life today is understanding that Christ loves me. He's seated with all authority. He is my heavenly savior, my heavenly high priest, and I can come to him to find help in time of need. And so why aren't we, if we aren't living the heavenly life now, coming into his presence, living as though we were in his presence at this very, very moment. And so right now for me, on this May the 24th, remember that little boy that was counting down the days, the months until November? Imagine how much closer we are since March. You know, time is ticking and it's a very, very critical time in our nation and in the world. 
Someone just asked me this morning, Pastor Jack, do you think that the Lord is coming soon? Do you think that perhaps this will be the generation in which he'll come in the heavens and take us home? You know, as much as I believe we're in the last days, I don't know what hour we're in, but I do know this. As one great man said, whatever happened to O when we pray? Oh, that God would put O in our prayers, that we would be living right this moment as though we recognize that Christ is seated, listening to our hearts at this very, very moment. This morning, I want to just look at a couple texts of scripture with you that kind of fit into this um, need of staying in the presence of the Lord, staying in the presence of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Over the last several weeks, and actually last week when I was going to speak to you, we had technical problems, so I wasn't able to. But last week, as well as this week, I wanted to point you to one particular picture in the Old Testament of a man named Joshua. Now, Joshua, you will know, was that great man of God, that warrior who led the people of Israel into the promised land. He did something that Moses wasn't even allowed to do. He led the people of Israel into the promised land. He was a soldier. He was a warrior. He was a courageous man. But when you find him early in the scriptures, you'll find Joshua in a place that might surprise you. Now, he appears many times, but one time that touched my heart particularly about Joshua was when Moses had gone up into the holy mountain to receive the law of God. And the Bible tells us in Exodus chapter 24 and Exodus chapter 33, and in that vicinity of scripture, it tells us that not only did Aaron and her go up into the mountain with Moses, but also Joshua went with Moses. He went with Moses, Joshua of all people, up in the mountain. And as Moses went before God to receive the law in that holy mount with all the thunder, all the vapor, all the smoke, all the lightning, all the power of God's presence, the Bible tells us that while they were in that mountain and coming down, after 40 days, the Bible tells us that Israel had made an idol. Israel had that quickly turned away from God. And at first, they thought it was the sound of war in the camp. But instead, it was the sound of false worship and idolatry. And that's when Moses took that tablet of law and broke it. And he and Joshua came down off of that mountain. And the Bible tells us in Exodus chapter 33 that after a period of time, in that context, the Bible tells us that Moses went outside the camp of Israel, outside the camp of Israel, there to meet with God in a tent, which was called the tent of meeting. It was not the sacred tent that would later be built, the Holy of Holies. It was called the tent of meeting. And he took that tent outside the camp of Israel because God said, I will not go up with Israel. I refuse to go up with Israel into the promised land. And Moses became the great intercessor there again. You'll be studying intercession in your Bible study. 
in the Andrew Murray book in a few more weeks on intercession. Moses was an intercessor. He went outside the camp into the tent of meeting. And the Bible tells us that Joshua went with him. I want, I want to read this passage to you from Exodus chapter 33. And I just want to begin, if I may, in verse 7. In the context of what I've just spoken to you. In Exodus chapter 33 and verse 7. Moses took the tent and he pitched it outside the camp afar off from the camp. And he called it the tabernacle of the congregation. And it came to pass that everyone who sought the Lord went out unto the tabernacle of the congregation, which was outside of the camp. And it came to pass when Moses went unto the tent or the tabernacle, that all the people rose up and stood every man at his tent door. And they looked after Moses until he was gone into the tabernacle. And it came to pass as Moses entered into the tabernacle, the cloudy pillar descended and stood at the door of the tent and the Lord talked with Moses. And all the people saw the cloudy pillar stand at the tabernacle door and all the people rose up and worshiped and every man in his own tent door. And the Lord spoke unto Moses face to face as a man speaks unto his friend. And he turned again into the camp. Now listen to this. His servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, departed not out of the tabernacle. Joshua departed not out of the tabernacle. Those words grabbed me in a marvelous way over these last couple weeks. Joshua. This strong young man, probably in his 50s at that time. Moses, much, much older. But this young man, Joshua, who later we know would lead the people of Israel into the land of promise. So many, many years later. Yet here we do we find him. We find him with Moses, the great intercessor, actually seeing and experiencing Moses speaking face to face with almighty God, as though God were speaking to a friend. Moses, the intercessor. And when Moses left that tent and went back to the camp, it tells us in very few words, Joshua departed not out of the tabernacle. Now, maybe, maybe I'm making more of this than I should this morning. But if you were to ask me, Jack, what should we be doing? At this time in history, what should we be doing in America? What should we be doing in Africa? What should we be doing in Germany? What should we be doing in China? What should we be doing all over the world in Guatemala, in South America, in Haiti? What ought we to be doing? First of all, do we sense any urgency at all? I told you months ago in March, I was counting down to November. Little did I know, little did I know that two weeks later, we'd be shut down in the COVID-19 crisis. I work in a prison. You talk about a crisis. Our prison population in my prison fell from 900 down below 500. 
during this time. That's how many men and women were released from prison because of the COVID virus to keep them from getting it, to find a way to get them out of prison and back home with their families. More than 400 prisoners in my prison. We lost one of our great sergeants, a wonderful man who died two weeks on a respirator with the COVID virus. And you talk about fear and upsetting the hearts of leaders inside of a prison where you have staff and prisoners who need quarantined and sequestered and, and you need the order. You know what's happened in my prison since March? I've been able to pray every single day with my command staff at 3.30 in the afternoon. More than 10 leaders on the telephone every single afternoon at 3.30. I get to have the last word. I have, I have the opportunity of just sharing a brief moment of truth. Not preaching, being very careful not to offend, to respect other people. But what an opportunity when my own prison staff have asked me every day to close the staff meeting with prayer. To recognize Almighty God. To give him the attention that he deserves. Yes, in my prison. And I thank God for that. Unprecedented opportunity. And you know, today, people are recognizing more than ever before, perhaps the number one thing we ought to be doing is turning our hearts to God. Joshua had it right. When God was angriest with Israel, when God was ready to walk away from his own covenant people and Moses interceded, Joshua bearing witness to it, Joshua having the privilege of being up in that holy mount, seeing and hearing the lightning and the thunder and the voice of God and coming down and seeing the disobedience of God's people and seeing Moses rise up to be that intercessor, that man of prayer, that go-between who begged God to stay with them, to forgive them and pardon them. And of course, we know that God heard the plea of Moses and God repented in a sense. He turned from what he was going to do. And he again called Moses back up into that mountain and there met with him and gave him the finished work of the law and the tabernacle and the holy tent of meeting and the holy of holy and the order of sacrifices and the priesthood and that great, great establishment of the covenant people, Israel. Where was Joshua? In the tabernacle. He did not depart from it when Moses went back to the people. Now you say, Jack, you're making too much of that. Well, maybe I am. But I want to ask you today. I wish I was looking into the face of the president of the United States right now. I really do. I wish I was looking into the face of my own sons right now. Anyone that I could say I care about. My worst enemy. I would say to them, the best thing I can do is not depart from the presence of God. Someone not long ago, and he's a very great authority on the issue of revival. And one of the ways he defined revival was this. Revival is nothing less than and nothing more than experiencing the presence of God. Experiencing the presence of God. Do we want revival? 
Remember what I said a few, a few moments ago. What's Jesus Christ doing right now? Hebrews chapter 4, 12 and following, tells us that he's seated at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for us, and that he's on the mercy seat. We can come to find help in time of need. And again, are we living the heavenly life now? Oh, that I could be like Joshua and not depart from the tabernacle, not depart from that tent. Now, I want you to turn with me for a moment today, if I may, to the psalm, Psalm chapter 90. I'm watching my time and, and, and you know, you, want, you might say, Jack, why, why Psalm 90? And, you know, I believe with all my heart, if ever Psalm 90 has meant more to me than it does now, I'm going to tell you why. Because I think more than ever before, I understand, maybe I understand, maybe I'm wrong, maybe some Bible teacher will tell me, Jack, you're wrong. But I really believe with all my heart that Psalm 90, without question, was written by Moses. It tells us that. It was tucked between all of these Psalms, Psalm chapter 90, and the Bible tells us that it was the Psalm of Moses. It matter of fact, it was the prayer of Moses, the prayer of Moses. I studied C.H. Spurgeon, the great, the great pastor from London. If you look at his commentary on Psalm 90, he believed that it was definitely the prayer of Moses. But one thing he would say to us, Spurgeon would say, is be careful that was under the old covenant. So some of the things that Moses prayed, we don't have to worry about today. But you know, God hasn't changed. God is holy. God is holy. He's still, yes, a God of covenant, a God of love, a God of grace, a God of mercy. And certainly for you and I who say in the New Testament, the New Testament church, yes, he's a God of mercy and pardon. Thank God for Calvary's cross. Thank God for Jesus Christ who went to the cross of Calvary for my sin. The Lamb of God who took away the sin of the world. And he died and he rose again the third day. And he ascended up into heaven again where he's making intercession for us. But under the old covenant in Psalm chapter 90, Moses gives this prayer. And I want to read it to us this morning very quickly and make a few comments on it. But listen to how, how relevant it is to this moment in time. And I would challenge old and young alike to pay attention to it. Because there's something in here for old and young. Why do I say old? Because it mentions three score and ten. Again, I'll be three score and ten years in November. On the 21st, I'll be 70 years of age. But at the end of the psalm, it also implies youth. It implies youth. So Psalm 90, the prayer of Moses, the intercessor, the friend of God. Let me just read it quickly. I won't comment on every verse, but I think it's timely. It's very timely. Lord, thou hast been our dwelling place in all generations. Let me just stop a moment. Is the Lord our dwelling place? Is the Lord our dwelling place? 
What did we just say about Joshua? He did not depart from the tabernacle. Where do we find Moses at his happiest? When he's in the presence of the Lord. Jeremiah 17 verse 12 has been a precious, precious verse in my life for many, many, many years. A high and glorious throne from the beginning is the place of our sanctuary or the place of our refuge, the place of our rest. Where do I find rest? At the very place of his high and glorious throne. I wish I had time this morning to, to preach from Isaiah 57, 15, where it tells us that God, the high and holy one, dwells not only in the high and holy place, but in the heart of the contrite ones. It's about dwelling, dwelling. Isaiah 66, 2, God there again says that he looks to the man who is poor and contrite and who trembles at his word, that God finds his dwelling with those who are broken and contrite. But here again, Moses prays, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth or ever you have formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. Again, this idea that God being that faithful, unchanging, trusted one in whom we can dwell. Verse three, thou turnest man to destruction and sayest, return ye children of men. Verse 3 basically says that we are going to go to the dust. We are going to die. Thou turnest man to destruction. Return, ye children of men. It, it tells us that our life is temporary, that in a moment of time, we're going to be done in this life. This life is temporary. Because of sin, man will die. That fell upon all men in Adam. Because of Adam's sin, all die. And, and we are going to turn to the dust. It says in verse four, a thousand years in thy sight are but as yesterday when it is past as a watch in the night. A thousand years to God is as a watch in the night. It's, it's a wisp of time to God. But to us, we just, we just think that time is everything. No. Oh, that God would find us dwelling in his presence in the brief time we have. So that that day when it comes, we will be ushered into his presence. Verse five says, thou carriest them away as with a flood. They are like sleep in the morning. They are like grass, which grows in the morning. It flourishes and grows up in the evening. It's cut down and withereth. The, the brevity of life, the brevity of life. Every week here at our camp, we, we watch the grass grow and we watch it cut. We watch it grow and we watch it cut. And that's what life is like. It's sown, it's grown, it's mown, it's blown, and it's gone. That's life. It's like grass. Sown, grown, mown, blown, and gone. Life is temporary. It's like a watch in the night, even a thousand years. But look at verse, look at verse 7. We are consumed by thine anger. And by thy wrath are we troubled. Now, again, coming from Moses, you'd say, yes, God was angry with Israel and the wrath of God was poured out against Israel. You know, I've heard many people say today, Jack, do you think the virus is a is a judgment of God? Do you think that what we're going through right now is something that God is sending upon America? 
You know, I'm, I'm never going to blame God for anything that's evil, nothing. But we're seeing the results of sin. We're seeing the results of man's fallenness. We're watching as time goes by. We're watching time go by and we're watching the rise and fall of nations. We're watching plague after plague. We're watching earthquake after earthquake. We're watching the earth groan, groan. And yes, there is the element of God's wrath against sin, against all creation. But yet we who have Christ, we who have hope, look forward to that blessed day. But again, the psalmist here, the psalmist Moses is telling us basically to realize that, yes, there's a holy God. There's a holy God. Verse, look at verse 8. It says, you have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your countenance. God knows we're sinners. I know I'm a sinner. I can't hide anything from God. As I said to my son yesterday at the age of 39, Joshua, remember your daddy's getting old. And the closer I get to the finish line of my life, it may be today. No wonder I keep saying, oh, for the mercy of God. Oh, for the mercy of God. You know why we pray like that as older men? Because we know. If it weren't for the mercies of God, we'd be consumed. Many times as you're young, you forget about your sin. You forget about how short life is. And you, you think you've got nothing but time. And yet, maybe today could be the last day of your life. You don't know. Oh, that we might get a grasp of the mercy of God. That we might begin to pray, oh Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. I want to experience your mercy and your kindness in my life. Folks, that's revival, to be in the very presence of God and asking him for his mercy and his grace. We pray for America to have revival. What are we asking for? Are we asking for a return to our jobs and money and, and prosperity? Is that revival? Because God maybe puts us back and Disney opens? Is that revival? Because Walt Disney opens? A lot of people think that way. Oh, God, bring revival on America so we can watch baseball again. That's not revival. Revival may be happening in the most awful time this country has ever seen. Revival will come perhaps in one of the darkest hours of history. When we find ourselves one by one coming into the place of God's presence and not departing from there oh god be merciful to me a sinner yes you do know my iniquities and my secret sins verse 9 says all of our days are passed away in thy wrath we spend our years as a tale that is told the days of our years are three score and ten you hear that three score and ten that means i've almost lived what would be a normal life now Three score and ten. And if by reason of strength they be four score or 80 years, yet is their strength labor and sorrow, for it is soon cut off and we fly away. Just this past week, a young father lost his life to esophageal cancer. A dear man I've been praying for, his name's Steve. He left a teenage, two teenage children, left two little children in, in grammar school, the precious wife, Aaron. Steve prayed for healing, but God took him home. 
He was ready to go home to be with the Lord. Very young daddy. But he knew. He knew that life is like grass. And, and you know, Steve learned to have some sense of revival in his life. As he was in those years of sickness, in those months of sickness, he looked forward to that time he could have with the Lord and to be with him. This time last week, there was rumors all over this country and all over Facebook that our dear, dear brother, apologist, Dr. Rabbi Zacharias, many people said he had died. And, and you know, by, the, by Monday morning, I think everybody knew that he had died during that night and, and that Rabbi was home with the Lord. And two months ago, he was being treated for cancer of the back. And, and all of a sudden, we found out that it was a, a cancer that was fast moving. And in less than two months, here one of the greatest, if not the greatest voice for Christ that we've known was taken home to be with the Lord. This is Rabbi's first full day in heaven. Oh, he dwelt in the presence of God. Rabbi knew what revival was. He dwelt in the presence of God. He did not depart from the presence of God. And so to go home to be with the Lord was from living the heavenly life now until that moment when he saw his Savior face to face. I ask you today, are you and I experiencing any sense of revival? Look at the very next verse, and I think it's a very good verse because it talks really about the holiness of God. If we don't, if we don't put this into some of our thinking today, I think we rob ourselves. Who knows the power of your anger? Even according to your fear, so is thy wrath. And what, what Moses is saying is, Lord, and again, Moses knew the wrath of God. Moses knew the anger of God. Moses knew the holiness of God. He shuddered at the presence of God. And I would say to any of us today, God wants us to fear him in the reverential sense. He wants us to notice that he is holy, that he hates sin. He hates my sin. And he wants relationship with me. And he gave me a wonderful, wonderful savior. In the Old Testament, it was the innocent lamb. That young lamb in its first year without blemish and without spot, a male lamb that was to be laid down upon the altar. Even if you were poor, they would take an innocent dove and take the, the neck of the dove and open it and pour the blood of that innocent dove upon the altar. Whether poor or if you had money, no matter what it was, man came into the presence of a holy God with the shedding of blood as the atonement for sin. All of that pointing to the day when Christ would become the Lamb of God who took away the sin of the world. Moses tells us here, don't underestimate the wrath of God. Don't underestimate the anger of God. But also, number your days. Apply your heart unto wisdom. Look at the very next verse, verse 12. Teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. And I love verse 13. I love verse 13 because it says, return, O Lord. How long let it repent thee concerning thy servants? I love that. Moses said, return, Lord. Lord, don't walk away from us. Come, Lord, return. Do your work in our lives. Let it repent thee concerning thy servants. Look at verse 14. I want to say this is for the young, if not for the old. Oh, satisfy us early with thy mercy 
that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad according to the days wherein you have afflicted us and the years wherein we have seen evil. Let thy work appear unto thy servants and thy glory unto their children. And let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us and establish thou the work of our hands upon us. Yea, the work of our hands establish thou it. Now I'm watching my time and I read those verses quickly, but notice the transition in this chapter. Notice the transition in this prayer. Satisfy us early with thy mercy that we may rejoice and be glad all of our days. There's a great a verse for young people. Early, Lord, satisfy me with your mercy that I may rejoice and be glad all my days. Oh, Lord, verse 17, let your beauty be upon us and establish thou the work of our hands. You know, this morning, in the middle of this COVID crisis, I call it an insidious pandemic. I always like to use the word insidious with the word pandemic because there's so much about the pandemic that is insidious. There seems to be an inherent evil in all of it. It's upset the world. It's upset the world's economies, upset families. It's upset everything that's made you and I comfortable. And how much more comfortable are we than so much of the world? You think about Haiti this morning. The church has talked about ministry in Haiti. Imagine the COVID virus in Haiti. Imagine it in the squatter camps of South Africa where millions of refugees live under tin and under burlap and eat goat's heads and, and are not separated in any way and are being many times abused by the police and are facing famine along with the crisis. That's true in many countries in the world. There are absolutely nightmarish dilemmas around this. We here in America lose sight of the fact that we've been given the blessings of a country with so many wonderful resources. And this morning, I'm thankful for America. But I would pray that this country would recognize that God is trying to speak to us in a way where we all ought to put down our, our differences, our division, racially and politically and economically, and come before God, who many of us know on both sides of the aisle, know that he's a holy God. He's a wrathful God. He's a God that one day is going to cut our lives short. We're going to be done, and we're going to have to stand before him in judgment. And he's given us a wonderful opportunity to know him as Lord and Savior. Well, my time is gone. I'm looking at the clock, and I don't want to miss out on one opportunity here this morning. And I want to read a little quote from Dr. Ravi Zacharias. And if you don't know who Ravi Zacharias is, I want to challenge you to perhaps look it up. R-Z-I-M Ministries, Ravi Zacharias, International Ministries. He's home with the Lord now. But in a book he wrote called Jesus Among Other Gods, I'll never forget a beautiful, beautiful quote he had in there. Matter of fact, the quote, had my attention many, many months ago. And I asked my son to let me use that book. And I found that quote because it had to do with time and had to do with eternity. And it had to do with evil. Now, never forget the quote. And I want to read it to you. 
right now, if I can. Listen to what Rabbi Zacharias says. And I want you to picture in your head, if you will, a hammer and a steel iron anvil. You know an anvil and a hammer that a man would make a horseshoe with in a blacksmith shop? Picture hammers and a huge iron anvil. And listen to this quote. In summary for the Christian, evil is real. This world is real. Time is real. Jesus recognized all three realities. Time, eternity, and also evil. And Jesus pointed out that this world has built into it the component of time. Moses talked about time in his psalm. And upon the anvil of time beat the hammer of eternity until time ultimately reflects the values of the eternal and will be shed as a shell from within which ultimate truths will be freely embraced. When we enter that stage, we will find out that the real anvil was eternity. Time provided the hammers and God's glory and purpose will be all that remains. Let me just put it in a nutshell. Everything you're experiencing right now in your life is like the hammers of time. You say, Jack, you don't know what I'm going through. It's the hardest time in my life. I don't know what God's doing. And I just feel these hammers in my life. The hammers of time and experience. Some of you are going through great times. Some of you are going through hard times and, and many, many difficult times. But upon the hammer, on these hammers of time beats upon the anvil of eternity. And one day, those hammers are going to stop. Time is going to be no more. And what Ravi would say is what's left, what's left, the issue of the glory of God and his purpose for your life, the issue of God's glory and the purpose of your life. Can I explain the COVID crisis? No, but I can tell you the hammers of time have been in my life just like they are in yours. And they're beating upon the anvil of time and eternity. And one day, the hammers will stop. Your time will be no more. Like the grass of the field, it will be cut down. And all that will remain will be the issue of the purpose of God and the glory of God. Let me ask you this morning as I close. What is God's purpose in your life? What is he doing? What does he want to do? And here's a bigger question. When your life is over, will he receive the glory? Isn't that all that really matters? That God's purposes are fulfilled in my life and he receives the glory. Lord, I pray right now for every listener. Lord, this Psalm of Moses is a prayer. And Moses perhaps says to me today, maybe nobody else, but he says to me, Jack Kranz, you better, you better shape up. You better number your days. 
You better think about the holiness of God and the wrath of God. Because the day's coming when your life is going to be done. Those hammers are going to stop. And all that's going to matter is what God's purpose was in your life and his glory. I pray right now if there's anybody in the sound of my voice that Lord will admit, yes, I'm going through a hard time. I don't understand what's going on. Lord, I pray right now you'd convict all of us of sin, your holiness, and your judgment. And in love, I pray that many would bend their knee to the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ and look up and say, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. Help me today to live in the light of your living presence right now where you're seated at the right hand of God the Father making intercession for me. Help me to be like Joshua, not to depart out of your presence in this time of darkness and difficulty. Help us to know revival individually, to live in the presence of a holy God. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.